Welcome to Veza Talks podcast. Tune in as we delve into the digital world of entrepreneurship and uncover the strategies and tactics of successful online business leaders. Today, I have a very special guest, Danny Carlson, with me. Uh, Danny founded the Amazon agency Kenji ROI and grew it to five, sorry, seven figures <laughs> and 25 employees before exiting a few months ago. Being well-known in the Amazon space, he's received features in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Founder. Since his exit, Danny has been mentoring agency owners on sustainable growth and sharing his experience on YouTube. Born in Canada but residing in Bali, he enjoys riding motorcycles, standing acrobatics, and spearfishing to keep his brain sharp. <laughs> Welcome, Danny. Yeah, always good to chat with you, Mario. You make me sound cool in that intro. Sounds like, uh, <laughs> sounds like some cool person that... Uh, you know, make me sound interesting. Well, you wouldn't be on the podcast unless you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah, Danny, uh, we've known each other for, I think, about, I was trying to figure it out, seven, eight years now, I think. And we met in Vancouver, I think, at a startup meetup, I believe, unless I'm wrong. And uh, we started uh, networking, doing Amazon things together. And then we started a, um, a mentoring group. We met once a week kind of deal, and it was really fun. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, friends ever since. And uh, I was on Amazon for many years and you were as well. And you just had an exit and uh, really can't wait to talk about that a little bit and what you are uh, up to and everything. But before we do that, <clears throat> tell our audience a little bit about yourself. You're kind of a daredevil. You do a lot of crazy things. Uh, I know that you used to do downhill racing with... Uh, um, Red Bull or something like that. Tell us a little bit about your background so that our audience uh, gets to know you. Yeah, so my background is different than most people who got into business. So when I started my first business, I had zero business experience. I was, like you said, a longboarder. So I was a semi-professional longboard racer. So I'd ride these uh, longboards down the hills at speeds of the fastest I went was 115 kilometers an hour. And then I would just pay my bills between that and then also working as a carpenter. And then it just got to a point where I just really was tired of being a carpenter and I didn't really feel like being a van bum anymore. So I just started learning about online business. And that seemed way more attractive than just like building houses in the rain and living in a van all the time. So I just dove into learning that just not knowing what I didn't know, but it kind of turns out that extreme sports background really helped me in the first few years of business because that high risk tolerance allowed me to be a little bit more aggressive and okay with taking bigger risks with just keeping throwing in all of my capital that I was making in my business. And I'm not sure I would have been able to do it without that that kind of adrenaline kick, if you know what I mean. So a uh, big shift from just being a van bomb carpenter to uh, to online agency owner. Totally. And so uh, I know that you got into an accident, almost got killed yourself and that kind of thing. So did you, um, when did you transition from a semi-professional longboarder to, you know, wanting to do something, <laughs> something more reasonable, I suppose? Was that, how many years ago was that? Oh yeah. So this is a good story. So th this would have been, it was about six years ago that I started my agency, but the shift happened about seven years ago. So at that time I was on a longboard race um, in an island in the Philippines, like super remote island. And we were about 12 hours away from the nearest hospital. Like on this island, there was like 
a volunteer on-call walk-in clinic. So like if you got hurt, then like this guy would like receive a text on his phone and then drive to the walk-in clinic. It was not a good scenario, but I was racing down the road. And as we were going down, there was a motorcycle coming up straight at us and it's supposed to be a closed road. So to avoid this motorcycle, I had to dive off my board going about 60 kilometers an hour. And this motorcycle was going maybe 50 kilometers an hour in the other direction. And I missed it by like a couple inches. And it's fun because I have video footage from multiple angles of this exact moment. And I can look back on it now and smile because that was the exact moment that just shifted my life direction. That was like the epiphany moment. I knew that after that moment, I needed to change something about my life. And up until that point, I'd been learning about online business, but like more casually, like listening to podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff. But I didn't have that like epiphany moment that like I need to do it. So that was that moment. And then my my entire life focus shifted from there towards growing the online business. Awesome. Crazy story, man. I mean, I remember I watched uh, one of your videos and I was like, no way in hell are you going to get me on that thing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then... Um, Walk us through the next kind of couple of years. So uh, you started, I believe you started your own Amazon brand and then you were expanded into actually an agency. How did that work? Yeah, so that's another good story, actually. So initially I started launching my own products on Amazon. So as soon as I got back from that trip in the Philippines, I just went all in on learning about Amazon. I invested in a course that taught me things. And it was only about six months later that I had my first products live on Amazon. So like I just was obsessed with it. It's like a pretty short period of time to actually get the manufacturing done and everything like that. And then out of those first two products I had launched, one was um, a dog harness and the other one was some bird reflective discs, some really weird, obscure product that just deters birds. And the dog harness totally flopped, but the reflective discs immediately started selling about $10,000 a month revenue. It was like, okay, so like there's proof of concept. I know this works. Yep. And from there, I was pretty aggressive, like I was saying earlier, from my adrenaline days. So I went and got a loan for, I think, $20,000 and just immediately went and launched some more products. And out of those, again, like, you know, one or two of them did good and the rest of them didn't do good. So I basically did the same thing. But the third time that I did that, I was really aggressive and just like went basically all in. It's like, okay, so by this point, I had one product that was doing really well. Like I actually got the account up to about $40,000 a month. But then I also just reinvested 100% of the profit into larger inventory orders and new products. And right at that moment, I got my Amazon account suspended. And I was like, oh, F. <laughs> this is not good. And Amazon ended up holding on to one of my payments. It was right before the payout cycle. Um, I didn't get that money for three months. And in the meantime, I had just gone all in on just trying to grow this thing. So I didn't have any money and I was probably about $20,000 in debt at that point. So luckily for me, I had kind of been doing a bit of work on the side, just helping my Amazon seller buddies out with things on Amazon, the listing optimization. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, so I either go back to being a carpenter and just like take an L on this whole business thing, or I just try to pivot and just you know, offer these Amazon services because I had, I had skills, you know, I obviously like if I could get this thing to 40 K per month, I obviously knew something that I could help other people too. So that was the origin story of how I shifted into the agency model. Right. 
No, that's uh, that's amazing. I, rem I remember even myself. I mean, I, I had three brands and I don't know how many products at one point that was into the hundreds. And, you know, the difficulties that are there or were there in the beginning are 10x now. I think it's, you know, with the competition and everything that's happening. But, you know, I mean, 2013, 14, you were able to, you know, slap pretty much anything on Amazon and make good money. And so, uh, you know, as as the as people um, got into it and as the Asian market uh, got into it, <laughs> all of a sudden there was a lot of plagiarism. There was a lot of black hat tactics. There was a lot of copy uh, products and everything like that. So Amazon wasn't ready for that. I don't think they were ready for the growth. And so everything was behind. That's why, like the story that you said about waiting for your uh, payment for three months is one that I'm familiar with. So it was a, a really good idea, I think, on your part to go and actually uh, start an agency and help people on Amazon because really you're uh, taking the risk away from yourself and, uh, you know, putting it on to, well, I guess other people, you know. So, so yeah, you started the agency and, uh, at, at, you know, how many, walk us through how many uh, Amazon sellers at any point uh, you were consulting to and, and, and the development of that, that whole thing. Oh yeah. And like in the beginning, I was barely covering my own personal expenses, you know, and like, you know, I was living in downtown Vancouver. I didn't have like super low living expenses, but like to give you an idea, I was like by the skin of my teeth, making my rent and living expenses each month in the very beginning. Right. So like we're talking, you know, maybe three, $4,000 a month I was making just through pure hustle. So I was getting most of my clients through Facebook groups. Um, I'd be posting valuable information in Facebook groups and just creating connections there and, and hopping on calls with people and things like that. And that's how we got most of my first clients up until like maybe five, six, $7,000 per month. And then to expand off of that, I ended up creating some good relationships with the owners of the Facebook groups. And then I became like the recommended service provider for the Facebook group. So we're in like the sticky posts at the top of these Amazon seller Facebook groups. Yep. And then that's a little bit more scalable. So it was all organic in the beginning because, you know, I didn't have money for ads or for any of these kind of things. And it was just very slowly organically built out. And then, you know, once we had some more money coming in, we had some more clients and I could start to hire a virtual assistant. And then I started to expand out to photography. Um, and that's that's actually a good point to bring up here, how we expanded to photography, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a terrible photographer, but I didn't want to be the one doing the photography. And it also didn't have like a 5k a month laying around to pay this photographer to put them on payroll. So how I got started in a safer way was I just found a photographer who agreed to be on a contract basis, like, hey, I got these clients who, you know, I can pay you this amount per product that we do. And they're going to be kind of inconsistent orders that come in. So I'll just pay you for every product that you do on a contract basis. And we did that for maybe the first six months of offering photography as a service. Then, you know, by the time I sold my agency, we were doing, you know, probably 70 or $80,000 a month just of photography services. And obviously we had full-time photographers, but it, like it started out with just hiring some contractor on a, you know, per contract basis so that I didn't have to pay him a monthly salary. Amazing. And so uh, at what point, I remember we were sitting in Vancouver having coffee 
and I was trying to convince you to leave Vancouver <laughs> and uh, move to a more tropical destination. And then uh, your transition from Vancouver to Asia, how did that affect you uh, in terms of uh, business? I mean, uh, you can talk about private, but uh, the business side. So, you know, time difference, uh, clients in different zones, you know, uh, how long did it take for you to make the shift? Because really, you know, everybody wants to be, uh, you know, a location independent uh, business person. And, uh, you know, and it's sometimes easier said than done to just pack up and go to the other side of the world. So how, how did that progress for you? Yeah, so that was something that I had always wanted to do from the moment I read Tim Ferriss's four hour workweek book like that. It just kind of blew my mind because I never really thought that that was a possibility. You know, today, everyone kind of understands remote work and everything like that. But I mean, that was a novel idea to me in my earlier 20s. So just like was mind blown. So I always knew I wanted to do it at some point, but it was certainly scary. And I just I had it in the back of my mind, like, okay, once I can, you know, once my business is at a good level, then I can go and, you know, I'll go move to the Philippines or something like that. Like that's, I had been there for the longboarding trip before and I enjoyed the Philippines. So that was the first thing that I had in my head. And I like, I was at a point in my business where like, I could maybe probably do it, but things weren't like that secure. Like I was worried about like, okay, what if the revenue drops like over the couple months and then, you know, I'll be stuck out there and there's not as much support. But then I just set a firm date. So this is an interesting point for anyone who's looking to like go overseas somewhere. I could have done it one year sooner than I did. And I almost did. But the reason why I didn't do that is because I didn't want to run away from my problem. So my problem at that time was I had just kind of like just cleaned up my life a little bit. I'd stopped drinking and stopped partying and hanging out with kind of my old group of friends who didn't support the new life that I wanted to live. And so I was having troubles like finding my new friend groups and like the people that I resonated with and things like that. And I noticed in myself that part of why I wanted to go move overseas was because I wanted to just run away from the problem, basically, like wipe the slate clean. Yep. And I had done that before, like when I was 19 and moved from a small town to the big city. And, you know, at that time, it was a good decision, but I didn't want to make the same mistake. So I was like, OK, so I'm going to do it one year from now because that's going to allow me to fix that problem and then move away. And I'm glad I did that because now if I go back to Vancouver, I have a good set of friends who are like minded and into the same kind of things as me instead of just all my old friends who are into partying and smoking weed and doing all this <laughs> dumb stuff. So that was kind of my thought process behind it. Right. And, and you moved to the Philippines first before Bali or? Yeah, it was Philippines first. So it was uh, Cebu City in the Philippines, purely because I'd been there before and I had some friends there from my longboarding days. <clears throat> and I actually stayed there for four months. And by the end of the four months, I really didn't like it there, to be honest. So like, it just felt different being there, just working and, and just like trying to focus on things. It's not really the right place for that. So it was a pretty small uh, expat community there, like not that many entrepreneurs, really hard to get healthy food in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, I had some good friends there and like a beautiful girlfriend and everything like that. But I was just missing that core group of entrepreneurs and like a little bit more like Western lifestyle. So I honestly, it, it sounds funny to say, but I literally was unaware of Bali 
before that point and it started looking for like different options that were somewhat close by mm-hmm. and it was like oh this bali place looks pretty good like they have good like acro yoga i like acro yoga seems like they have good co-working spaces and things so i just randomly decided to go fly over there knowing very little about it and uh, here we are four years later and i've lived like 99 percent of the last four years in bali and i amazing. love it amazing so tell tell us a little bit more about bali like why do you like it so much What's it like to uh, to be a remote, uh, independent uh, business person? And uh, I, I personally know that you know the expat community is huge. But uh, what is it like from your perspective? What do you love about it? And how does it make your life easier uh, from a business perspective? Yeah, Bali is such an interesting place because it is literally where like the Southeast Asian kind of rough around the edges experience meets the Western experience that you would expect from like your trendy kind of area of your nice city in your home Western country, right? Um, there's a very developed tourism industry that has been here for decades and decades. So lots of luxury hotels. And there's also like the well-developed area where the expats and the young people like to go, like Changu, if you've heard of that, where there's beautiful yep. co-working spaces and cafes and restaurants and you know luxury villas and everything like that. But it's also in a jungle, like a jungle, small Island with like, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a giant, like two meter long Komodo dragon that was <laughs> running around the same areas where all the most popular cafes are in downtown Changu. And a bunch of people were like chasing this thing around trying to capture it. <laughs> so that just perfectly illustrates how we have this merging of the, uh, you know, the, the wild Bali Southeast Asia feel and, but still like, you know, all the comforts uh, that you'd have in a Western country. Right. And so what made you sell your agency? I mean, it sounds like you were really successful. You're doing well, making lots of money. What was, uh, was it just too much money uh, that was being offered to you or what, what made you decide to, uh, to sell it? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the money. So like selling an agency, you're not going to get the same multiple as selling an e-commerce business or a SaaS business. Right. So like it was, it was still a good chunk of money, but it was more, like I decided that I wanted to sell the agency. So it was, it was something that for me, like one, I wanted to check that box. Like I sold a company because it's just something that I wanted to check that box during my career somewhere. Uh, but two, it was about six years at that point that I've been running the agency. And I've kind of noticed this trend in my life where I don't, I hardly do anything for more than six years before I just get to a point where I, I just don't really feel like doing it anymore. I guess the one exception will be longboarding that I was doing for a long time. I did for 10 years, but even by that point, I don't, I don't like to toot my own horn, but like you get to a level where you're like, you're near the top and like at your skill level and to improve, you have to work 100 times harder than anyone else. Because when you're like at 99% of like the best people in the world, to improve by 0.1% is going to take you like six months. Right. And it's just not very meaningful and satisfying. Right. Right. And like, not that I was at that level in the agency. It's just like, it wasn't interesting to me anymore after that time. Like I didn't feel like there's much growth there. Right. And so, so and so <clears throat> what advice would you have for people that wanted to start their own Amazon business? Now it's, you know, 2023 Amazon is huge. Competition is huge. Uh, you know, what would be your advice if, you know, somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to start uh, selling a, a product or, you know, some product or, you know, what, what would be your advice and 
how to go about it and how much money would you need to start that kind of thing. Yeah, like you said, Amazon is much more competitive and difficult today than it was when we got into it, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was. Um, and it's interesting because this advice rings true back then also, but back then you could get away with doing some like kind of more basic things. But to do it today, and the way I've seen a lot of people that I know have like really good success is to just build a really good brand and a really good product that's actually a unique product and has like really good branding and is not just some like knockoff thing that you're just taking from Alibaba and selling on Amazon. Like that just really is so difficult to make work today. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. And it probably means you're not only focusing on Amazon too. You can use that as your main channel, but like what would a real brand do? Would they only launch a product on Amazon and sell on Amazon? No, they're a real brand and they have a marketing strategy and they probably have it's probably more than a one person business and you probably have to invest money into product development to create a really good product and probably also a lot of time and money into the branding side of things and just making it really good. I mean, that's what it takes to build a really good product brand that can grow. Right. And that's just, that's just not the promise that's been sold to everybody through these YouTube videos and courses and things like that from mm -hmm. gurus. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think that vision really works that well anymore to just like slap some Alibaba products up on Amazon and just, you know, grow it to a million dollars and, and sip on the beach, you know? Right. And so in terms of budget, what would, what do you think would be a good budget to start out with? Is it, you know, a couple thousand dollars? Is it 10? Is it 50? Is it hundred? I mean, what, what would you say for somebody that starts out like the way you did back in the day, what would that be like today? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question, budget, because I think when you ask, like, how much money do you need to start it? Most people assume that, like, I need to have that much money in my bank account to start it. Their mind doesn't really go towards, like, investors or Kickstarter or things like that. So I'll tell you about, like, one of my one of my friends who he exited his e-commerce brand uh, for a seven figure exit, maybe six months ago. And he started that company completely through Kickstarter as like when he was like 23 or something like that, right? He didn't have any money to start this thing. He just made a Kickstarter campaign for a unique product that was, uh, you know, not like a crazy invention even, but he used that money to start. And um, the Kickstarter campaign did like six figures and then he had six figures to start, Amazing. right? So I don't think it's about like, you know, how much money you need to start. It's like, yeah, I mean, the more money you have, the better. But I don't think it's the right way to look at it as like, I need to have this much money in my bank account and throw that money into growing it. The more entrepreneurial, like the smart entrepreneur money is getting other people's money, whether that's investors or, you know, a loan through some loan program or something like that. And then using that to launch your really good product. I mean, it's more about having a really good idea, right? If you have a really great product and you, you, you know that the market's going to love this product and you have really good branding, then you'll find the money to make it happen. You know, there's so many ways to get the money. Right. Totally. And, you know, I mean, I know myself, uh, hiring an agency was my top priority. So as soon as, you know, I had the budget to do that, I immediately went and said, like, which one is the most expensive agency I can hire? And then I went uh, to town on negotiations and, uh, you know, as you know, we hired a really, really top agency. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, 
doing everything yourself, just it's time consuming. You're not able to work on the business. You're working in the business. And in the beginning, I mean, you may have to, that's fine. But as soon as I could offload all the marketing and everything that it, it entails, man, our profit just went through the roof, you know? And so that's some advice that I think that uh, you probably agree with. Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially in today's landscape, like we're talking about this promise of the one person business where you can grow to seven figures on Alibaba products. Like, I mean, <laughs> even just from an operational standpoint, that's crazy. Like you're going to do the product research and then like the manufacturing sourcing, like build a team and like all these things by yourself um, at like a high level where your product is actually good and your branding is actually good. That's like, I mean, no, no one does that. You know, like no one who's actually building good products does that. <laughs> right. So, and I know that you had a, a, po a podcast yourself. I was on it back in the days. So uh, tell me what, what's, what's the, what did you learn about your podcast days? Uh, what are the things that you thought were amazing? And, uh, you know, even when you felt silly uh, doing it in the beginning, like what was the best thing about having a podcast? Well, it's actually funny. I'm about to release a YouTube video about this exact topic. Um, most people don't really understand what the main benefit of having a podcast is. They just see like the numbers like, oh, I'm not going to get that many listeners. But on TikTok, I get like thousands of people looking at my stupid TikTok dances and stuff like that. So they prioritize TikTok, right? But podcasting is a very unique medium because, because of how simple and unedited it is. So there's, there's a reason why Joe Rogan is currently the biggest media in the entire world right now. Yep. And that reason is because people feel connected to him. A podcast is the closest everyone gets to sitting in the living room with Joe Rogan and just chatting like they're just buddies hanging out after work. Yep. Right. YouTube videos aren't like that. TikTok videos certainly aren't like that. Right. So podcasts in the unedited long form of just two people chatting like they normally are is is very unique it creates like a, a unique connection between the listener and the guest or but also between the um the guest and the interviewer mm -hmm. so that's something i learned through doing my own podcast is that once you interview someone on your podcast then you've kind of created a similar connection to them and then it's much easier to come up with good ideas to collaborate for marketing relationships mm -hmm. uh, maybe you're going to do some guest posting or you're going to go on their podcast or whatever like we had so many good marketing collaborations with guests that were on our podcast and it was actually one of the people that i interviewed on my podcast that ended up purchasing my agency when i went to sell my agency and what's funny about that is once i announced that i had sold my agency on social media one of my other podcast guests sent me a DM and then he said like, Hey, you should have, you should have let me know. I would have made an offer on your agency too. Wow. <laughs> so that's the real power of doing the podcast. Right. It just creates a deeper relationship with your guests and then also the, the audience. Absolutely. I mean, for me, it's been eye opening because I'm able to uh, chat with people who I would never ever meet. And it actually surprised me at the caliber of guests that uh you know would show up on our podcast and of course we have a podcast manager and and he makes it all happen he's amazing uh and we have a back end that does all the editing and whatnot but uh you know uh i don't think i would be meeting people i mean of course you and i know each other and it's cool to talk and it's even great to catch up with people that you know i haven't i haven't seen you in person in years but you know we've always kept in touch 
usually have a Zoom call every six months, whatnot. But yeah, for me, pod, uh, podcasting has really opened up a whole world of uh, networking and uh, the ability to uh, market the actual podcast because now you have so many different social media channels. You can, you know, splice it and dice it and just throw it out there. And, you know, you will connect with the right people and the right audience if you're authentic, right? So uh, it's been super fun. And I, and I know that you've done hundreds of, of uh, interviews and which is really cool and everything, right? So tell me about uh, where Danny is going next. I know you, we talked about YouTube, but uh, tell me what your thoughts are, what you want to do, uh, uh, your next chapter in life. Yeah, so you're exactly right. I've just been really focused on YouTube. And it's interesting. It's almost like setting up a brand new business. So like right now, it's still really small. I'm just working with one full-time video editor and just working on my own craft. So like, how do I make my storytelling better in the YouTube videos? And how do I, you know, identify what is actually good content that people want to learn from me? So mostly it's about my experience growing the agency and you know, marketing and sales and things like that. But I'm trying to really do it at a quality that is worthy of being one of the biggest channels in the space that I'm in. So it's going to be a long grind. These kind of things take a long time to build, but you know, I don't have anything better to do. And this, uh, it's taken, taken up my, uh, time during the days, these days, and it's just fun. Um, and the reason why YouTube is I just really believe in the value of a really strong YouTube channel, right? I mean, we've just seen enough examples over the recent years, especially of creators who have built these huge channels. And then when they turn around to monetize them by launching their own products and things like that, they're instantly huge, huge brands. Right. Mm -hmm. If you look at Mr. Beast, he launched this Beast Burger thing like, I don't know, six months ago, and they're going to do nine figures revenue their first year. Incredible. And that's, just, that's just one of his random side businesses. Right. Like, so, I mean, it, it's hard. It's impossible to ignore. Right. But it's like real estate. It takes time to you know build up a real estate portfolio. And it's you know a lot of time and capital invested and things like that. That's going to get you returns later down the road. And so I, I see YouTube as the modern form of uh, something like real estate. Amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's super interesting. I mean, it's funny how YouTube went from nothing to something and then it it kind of, you know, went into this lull. And I feel like over the last 6 months I've been hearing a lot of my business partners start YouTube channels, which at first I was like, YouTube, I mean, you know, isn't that kind of like, you know, 10 years ago, right? But like you said, I think we're in a different phase now and the ability to have amazing video editing and, and putting it all together and taking that content and becoming more specific, right? Because, you know, the more specific you are, the better your audience, the more of a following. And then of course your brand will just automatically fall into that space. Right? So yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, it's really exciting. So, um, um, I usually ask my guests, uh, if you were in my shoes, what question didn't I ask you that I should have asked? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I'm going to have to think about that one for a sec. Um, I guess I would ask why... Why did you choose the agency model and focus on the agency model 
instead of other businesses because so many other online businesses you could have started at that moment so, and the answer to that question yeah would be i think something that a lot of people overlook so this is for mostly for all the beginners out there or the people who you know are, are struggling with their first business or just haven't started in the online space the power of agencies is that you can start a business that can eventually turn into a very profitable very scalable seven or if you really want to go there but i didn't eight figure or nine figure agency mm -hmm. you can start that with zero dollars or in my case negative twenty thousand dollars <laughs> and just some hard work and learning and dedication and that can give you so much freedom you can do it from anywhere you want in the world and you just reinvest the money that you're making from the business without any real risk right is the only risk is your ego yeah. <laughs> and you can start that from nothing whereas almost every other type of business out there like i see all my friends here in bali like starting restaurants and like you know building homes even though they have no real estate experience and all this stuff it's like you're you're taking massive risk with your capital and you're probably not going to see a return on your capital for at least two years on most of these types of businesses and then the upside is like capped much smaller at like a restaurant or, or something like that right yeah. so like where else can you get for like a, an easy business to start that takes no money and you can do from anywhere in the world that has unlimited upside that it, it like there's nothing else like a b2b service agency right providing any kind of valuable service to other businesses mm -hmm. it is like definitely i think what people should be focusing on first in their entrepreneurial uh career if you haven't started something totally i agree with you 100 i think that's that's the essence and even at Vesa digital that's our belief and uh you know we're investing heavily into into that side and so i totally agree with you one more question um what's your latest take on all the ai that's going on right now chat gpt and everything like that um are you planning on using it? Are you uh, plan on, planning on learning more about it? What's, what's your take on that? Yeah, my take on it, it's interesting because it's funny to me to see this chat GPT hype because I played around a lot with GPT-3, which has been around for quite a while before chat GPT-3, which is just 3.5, is slightly better. But it's like, I played around a lot with three and I was, uh, I was pretty underwhelmed by what it did it's like at first it seemed really cool and then once i kind of understood how it worked i'm like all right like but the, i'm not actually going to use this in that many scenarios and i still think that chat gpt is currently kind of still in that phase but i do believe that that is going to change drastically at a certain point right there will be a certain point where it suddenly becomes useful enough that it is going to disrupt a lot of things but yep. right right now it is overhyped right I certainly would not be like creating an entire new business model based around chat GPT uh, because one is overhyped and then two, the barrier to entry is just way too low, right? You base your entire business off of something that is as plug and play as chat GPT, then you're just, you're shooting yourself in the foot. There's going right. to be 10 million of them by the time you figure out something that's, that's good. So that, that's kind of my take on it right now. People are jumping the gun on like, this is freaking amazing. Yeah, but the same thing's been around for a while already <laughs> and it's, it's kind of cool. But, you know, mark my words, who knows who knows when the day is going to be, it's going to start effing stuff up yep. <laughs> in a whole lot yeah, of industries. I agree with you. I think there's going to be a holy shit moment where, you know, people are going to look at each other going, okay, I think we're, <laughs> we've gone over the line. How do we stop this thing, right? It'll be too good, so to speak, right? <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, I think we still have a couple of years left uh, before that happens. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, uh, we're going to wrap it up. I really thank you a lot for being on the podcast. Uh, you're one of the most exciting guys that I know. Uh, you're daredevil. And, uh, you know, every time I see a picture of you, you're on like a Kawasaki 30, 1100 or something like that. It just <laughs> <laughs> It's super cool. So keep it up and let's keep in touch and we'll we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Mario. Pleasure chatting, man. Thanks for having me on.